Welcome to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz, a candid conversation as we learn about types of dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontal temporal, and Lewy body, and the effects on the people we love. Jill's years of dedication and experience help you adapt, overcome obstacles, and find positive outcomes. It's time for Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Hey, I hope everyone's wonderful today. It's uh, rounding through April, and wow, hasn't the month and the year gone fast, fast, fast. I want to talk about something today that we often don't address. We don't know how to address it, and I want to just kind of uh, touch on some ideas about the powerful, powerful emotions of feeling guilty about the way you are caregiving. Because I tell you, it can get to people. It, 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 just, it just pounces on them. And the very instant that you make a decision on something, you're questioning yourself. You're rethinking your decisions. You're wondering, should I have said that? Should I not have said that? Oh, why did I say that? It is one of the most difficult things in the world to care for somebody with dementia. Memory loss. Whatever the disease is that is that type of dementia that causes the memory loss, it seems like the guilt gets magnified when that person can't communicate their wishes or how they feel. You can't talk to them because you're not able to converse with them easily. And oftentimes... There is just this crazy uneasiness that can reach, you know, epic peaks when a care partner has to decide to place somebody in adult daycare or a memory care unit. And I try to tell families all the time that that decision cannot be clouded. It should not, must not. Please don't let it be clouded by guilt or some sense of failure. Just focus on what is best for the safety and the health of that person and also yourself. You can't help them if you're stressed out and worn down and burnt out. You can't. You can't help them with anything. And it becomes worse and worse and worse as time goes by. I have a couple of clients right now who are making difficult decisions about moving someone. And one of them still has their person at home. The other person put their person in a community and then refused to let the community take care of them. And that is the wrong way to go. You can't be with a person 10 or 12 hours a day at the community. It's not healthy for them. It's not healthy for you. 
And if you don't want them to be in that community alone and that's why you feel like you need to be there all day, every day or tuck them into bed, then keep them at home. You can't put somebody in a community and then not trust the people to care for them. That makes zero sense. But people are afraid to do the wrong thing. You're thinking, what if I take them to the nursing home and it's not the right thing? Or what if I take them to daycare and it's not the right thing? And whatever you do isn't set in stone anyway. If you really don't like the community, move them. If you don't like the daycare, move them. Move to a different one. You can do something different. You can change your mind. But you can't, especially in the case where you're there all day, you should go maybe in the very early morning hours if you want to, uh, right after they have breakfast, before they start some kind of an engagement or activity. And then when they do start the activity, leave. You can go after lunch. They usually have a little quiet time right after lunch. Uh, or before lunch, if they have a quiet time after their morning exercise or whatever it is they have done in the morning, that activity. Go at, at in-between times. Look at their schedule of of what they're doing throughout the day and then go when they have completed some type of activity. The person may be kind of tired. They may not be as conversive with you, but you're giving them the chance to acclimate to the community. You're giving them a chance to learn their new surroundings and make new friends and so on and so forth. It it just doesn't work if you don't let the community get to know your person. And there's no perfect options, okay? There's no perfect options, but there, but there are places that are better than others. There are too many variables about your person and their cognition level and their memory level, and they're always going to seem worse when they go into a community because you're not there to pick up uh, every sentence that they that they are trying to say, and you're you're compensating for their lack of uh, vocal speak. You're not able anymore to be there and answer for them all the time or help them get dressed or something. And people look like they have just gotten exponentially worse, but they're not. That's just the brunt of the disease actually being visible and showing itself in 100% clarity. You didn't make them worse because of that. And for those of you who are trying to make the decision to move someone, I know it's hard. You're thinking that nobody can take care of that person the way you take care of that person. But when they reach a place where they're really not speaking with you in intellectual conversation— they're just repeating what you say. When they are incontinent and you're having to help them go to the bathroom and wipe them when they're done and you have to give them a shower, 
that's going to wear on you as a caregiver. And if you can let somebody else do those tasks throughout the day and just be their daughter or son again, their husband or wife again, whatever it is, just their friend, it's going to be better. There are options. There are things you can do. You just need to be aware of of what's going to happen and how it's going to happen. You just can't do it alone. You can't do it perfectly because there's no perfect. This These situations are just too unpredictable. In one minute it's working, the next minute it's not. You know, you 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 have to be flexible. You have to be flexible. And and part of the reason why you struggle I think with the moving of someone in the first place is because a lot of times people with various dementia diseases and memory loss have lucid moments one minute and don't have lucid moments the next. They might say to you, please don't take me to some nursing home and the next minute don't even know where they are. And there are people with these various diseases who um, are really kind of afraid that you will try to keep them at home longer than you should or you're able to. To the point where, like I said, it impacts your own health. And especially those of you who are in your 70s or 80s, that is a ton of physical and emotional stress. And you can try to hide it all you want from your kids, your grandkids, that you're sticking to this promise that you made to never place your person in a nursing home. And you should never promise somebody that. You should never, ever promise somebody that. It's it's unrealistic. Things change. I had this conversation with my husband the other day, and I said, if I have to go into a nursing home, would you visit me every day? I was talking about a couple of just wonderful, wonderful people, Jim and Carl and, you know, Maureen and a few people that went every single day to see their spouse and how sweet that was that they would go and they would check on them and they'd make sure they were doing okay. And my husband said to me, if I go into a nursing home, I don't want you to come every day. I don't even care if you come once a week. I want you to go out and continue to live your life. It's funny the way that he knows the same people I know and the way that we look at it a little bit differently of whether or not you would be there for somebody. I just, you know, I just thought it was really interesting and I was talking to him about what today's topic was going to be. And, you know, it is just... It's just so difficult. I know it's a personal decision. You love your husband. You love your mom or you love your dad or whoever it is. 
but it can be so overwhelming. And, and part of it is that you have such a close tie with that person. They give you some sense of identity. They're your spouse. They're your mom or dad. We're supposed to take care of them. Sometimes we argue with ourselves about would that person even want us to put them in a nursing home or memory care unit. And we can argue back and forth with ourselves forever and ever, and you'll never win an argument with yourself. <laughs> I mean, it really does. And there's always the stress of you need the break and it would be better off for them. Then you decide, this is selfish. I should, I should be able to take care of them. A lot of times we find out that people with the disease actually enjoy the communities once they get there. They have a better quality of life. They have more interaction throughout the day. They're not so isolated from family and friends and people who don't come around anymore. Now there's somebody there to talk to them all the time. These are things to think about. But we get so overwhelmed with these guilty emotions. And if you have to have somebody come to your house and fill in for you if you want to leave for the weekend, and then you just feel sad about that, you think, you wouldn't leave me alone, would you? And then... You work this whole thing out in your head about how, you know, that person would never do that to you. They'd never leave you. They'd never put you in a, in a home and everything like that. We get this sort of back and forth contentious, should I, shouldn't I? When I do, can I leave them there alone? This is so heartbreaking do they know that we're putting them in a place? We think they do. But do they? I don't know. I don't think so. I think when a person only repeats back to you what they're saying, I think they know their people. They know when they are liked. They know when somebody wants to give them a hug. They know when they're having good conversations with people. I've seen people who have had years and years of home care. And then they get to a point where they have to consider an assisted living. And you try and tell your kids, you try to tell your adult children, you try to tell your grandchildren why you think you need to make this move. And it's a scary thing to have a conversation with people? Do you think you're setting a bad example if you decide to place someone in a memory care? I bet that if you stop and talk to your family and friends and you explain what you're having to do, if you explain that you are bathing this person, that you are helping this person go to the bathroom, if you explain that you can't 
leave the house without feeling guilty, they might support you. And maybe you'll get some that will support you and some that won't support you. People that think you should just deal with it. People that worry that if you put somebody in a community, they're just going to die. Well, it depends on the kind of community. Do your homework. Find a community that's going to really provide them with engagement all day long and all different kinds of engagement. And take them out to the movies. And, you know, now that we're getting out of this COVID stuff, communities, good communities can get back to doing the things that, that they're doing, that they were always doing that work so well for them. You know, we always get this thing, too, that people say, oh, she'll die if she goes into that nursing home. Mm-mm, no. First of all, it's not a nursing home. And second of all, it's a degenerative brain disease, and the person's going to die at some point. It's terminal. They may have a fall. They could have a fall at your house. They could have a fall at the community. The difference is, if they fall at the community, they can go out to skilled nursing until they get healed and then come back. If they fall at your house, then you have to try to see if there's a community that can take them when they are trying to heal. So if they're already at a home and it's their home and then they have to be sent out to the hospital, they can always come back. But if they're at your house, then you have to try to find a place that can deal with whatever injury they had. I don't know. I, I, I've heard of people that their family members get so angry that they don't speak to them. Sometimes you can reconcile, sometimes you can't. It's a hard thing on families. You suffer a lot more than the person with the diagnosis, I'm telling you. And they are probably more comfortable than you think, and they don't even realize where they are when you move them. Family will come back around. If they don't get it, let them come and spend a weekend or a week with that person while you take a break. They'll get it then. They'll understand. We've got to work through this guilt. It eats people alive. It's not good for you. It's not good for you. And if you can get your life back, if you can do the things you want to do with your kids, if you can do the things you want to do in the evening, just sit at home and, and watch TV or play a game or go for a walk with your dog or something like that in the evening that you can't do because you've been taking care of your person at your home, don't feel guilty about having to make that change. And hey, speaking of making a change... I have a new sponsor, Carillon at Bellevue Station. They have a beautiful community. Their memory unit is gorgeous. 
it is really pretty, soothing colors of blue and tan and just amazing. They've got a wonderful assisted living. They are in Cherry Hills. They're very near Cherry Hills in Denver, Colorado. And they are terrific, and I am so pleased and proud they are my sponsor. I am providing a support group there the fourth Wednesday of every month. And if you want to come and be a part of it, you can. Let's take a minute and listen to a word from my sponsor. Carillon at Bellevue Station is a residential community enriching the senior living experience. Our community full of grandeur and elegance is located near Cherry Hills, Colorado. We offer independent living and personalized assisted living services and an intimate, caring neighborhood for our residents with Alzheimer's and other dementias. A beautifully appointed spacious apartment, chef-prepared meals, transportation services, and a team devoted to your safety and wellness are what awaits you when you reside at Carillon at Bellevue Station. Call 720-440-8200 or visit carillon at bellevuestation.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. All right. So I'm talking today about what some people consider the most gut-wrenching decision you will probably ever have to make. I think that it helps if you ask that person for permission or you take that role as a decision maker when the time comes and they can't do it anymore. That's okay too. It's it's hard. It's crazy hard. If it's the person you've been married to for years, I I will say out loud, I can't imagine it if if it was me and my husband. We've been married 24 years. We've been together 28. It's painful to think about a day when he wouldn't be with me. But I also would like to think that I can make the right decision when I can't care for him any longer, when trying to get him up out of a chair might make my back go out, and then what do I do? When we make decisions in trauma situations, they never turn out good, my friends. They never turn out good. And then there's the pain of, okay, you make that decision, And what happens next? I had somebody tell me that he remembered his wife's first nights at the assisted living center and that she was looking for him for three days and three nights. He he would say to himself, you know, I can't leave her there. I'm bringing her back. I'm going to bring her home. I can't leave her there. But he stuck it out. And eventually he realized it was the right thing to do. It'll be okay. And they will do fine. His wife will make new friends. And it's going to be good for her. And he just said this over and over and over to himself. 
And as I was talking to him last night, he said it didn't relieve him of his caregiver responsibilities. He goes and he talks to them about her meds and he kind of watches how the caretakers are working with her throughout the day. But that it made him feel helpless because he they could get her to do things he couldn't get her to do, like take a bath or a shower. And that his wife needed things, little things that he just couldn't do. And I, and it was a, a wholeheartedly horrible decision for him to make. He told me, he said, I should feel like I should be able to do this. But when he saw that she was getting so much more in terms of activity and stimulation throughout the day than he could offer, and just like I said a minute ago, he told me that she was isolated from her people that used to love her and come around when she was at home. And here at the community, she's around people her age. She's around people with a various type of dementia. And that helped him get through the guilt of having to place her when he realized that he couldn't give her all the things that she needed. And there's guilt that comes with that. But once you give yourself the permission to do what is best for that person without feeling guilty, I truly believe that your heart will be full, that your heart will heal, and that if that person were in their right mind, they wouldn't want you to feel guilty. You know what kind of person they are. Do you think they would want you to ba- base decisions on things that are are going to cause you stress and are going to make your life tumultuous and and you don't get any sleep and you're you're physically wearing yourself out? Do you think that's what your person would want? They know you're doing the best you can do. They know when you can't do any more. Why can't you see that? You have to come to terms with it at some point in time, my friends. You have to get past that guilt and make the safest and the most economical choices for your person. And we think sometimes, well, if they're not wandering, if if I'm doing okay, I have caregivers coming in, things should be okay. Is is the daycare your job? Is the caregiving your job? Do you already have a job? Are you struggling between going to work and having people coming in to help you? It'll only be a matter of time 
If they are not wandering, they will at some point. If they're able, if they're up and moving around. If they break something and they're struggling with moving, that can be even harder. Then you've got issues with bed sores and, you know, moving them often and getting them up and trying to move them around, um, making sure they're not sitting in a wheelchair for too long. You may have to get a hospital bed or a Hoyer lift or something like that. These are things that cause that struggle that make you think, maybe I need to start searching for a place for them to live. And boy, we we really shouldn't even have to talk about those of you who are getting zero sleep. And I see you out there, my caregiver nation. I see you. I hear you. I know you're not getting any sleep. You've got one ear trained on the person or they're fighting out in their sleep or they're sleeping in another room and you're worried they're going to get up and take a fall in the middle of the night when you're trying to sleep. Sometimes they're moving around the house and hiding in the house and you have to search for them. Sometimes they wander away. You hear the front door in the middle of the night and you jump up and you're trying to figure out what happened. You And I, I'm telling you, home care is more expensive than a person being in a community. Communities are crazy expensive, but home care has become off the chart. It used to be different. It used to be you could get home care for a certain amount. And you can. You can hire somebody to come in for three hours a day, but with a person with a type of dementia that is a disease, you're going to pay about $70 an hour, and it's going to be on a three-hour minimum. Where that used to be $30 an hour before COVID, when everybody was losing money and everything, and then they jacked up their prices, so now it's double. That's Instead of it being like $90 or $100 for a week, now, now it's $200 a day. So you have to think about that. And if you don't have money and you have to go on Medicaid, the state will pay for a person to be in a nursing home, but they won't pay for you to keep them at home. They won't pay for home care. They'll pay for a care community and that's when you have to – that's when you get kind of the final straw. It's a, it's a painful realization. It's a hard thought to think of. Um, I know. And if you're broke, if you didn't plan for it, if you don't have a long-term care insurance plan, people end up quitting their jobs because – they have to care for the person at home. Then they really become stressed out. You put alarms in everywhere in the house. You you try to know when they're up and walking. You put on deadbolts. You do all kinds of things. 
And people with the diagnosis often will just sleep one or two hours really hard and then be up for 12 or 14 hours. And then everybody thinks that you're pushing things, that you're rushing things. They oftentimes will tell you they think you're doing things wrong or why are they up all night? And then when they come over during the day, they can't talk to the person because the person's sleeping during the day and you try to explain to them that, you know, this is just kind of the way that the the disease works and so on and so forth. And they don't understand. They don't get it. They don't get it. And you have a hard time explaining it to them. So for all of you out there who are really thinking this through, I want you to get a piece of paper and sit down and talk about what guilt issues you have to resolve. Do you feel like you're the the child and that person, adult child, and that person always took care of you, so you feel like you always have to take care of them? Do you have to resolve the idea of money, that you don't have very much money and now you've had to quit your job? Do you have to resolve that you are still working and you have to pay caregivers to come in? Do you have to resolve that you had that promise that you never should have made in the first place? Do you have to resolve letting somebody else care for your person and trusting them? What do you have to resolve? The emotional issues of of maybe you didn't get along with that person most of your life and now you feel like you're making up for lost time? What is it? What are the things that you're thinking about that are keeping you up at night, making you feel guilty? Think about it. Think about it. Because if you don't get past that, you could pass before them. You could hurt yourself. You could become sick. They could take a fall and go to skilled nursing. They could wander away and get lost. That happens every day. So when you have to make those decisions, do it when it's not in a trauma situation. Do it when you have time to go around, ask a professional to help you if you want to. Look at a couple of communities, have one chosen, take the person with you. Work it all out. Work it all out. Don't wait until that person has a fall or an ulcer or whatever and gets sick and ends up in the hospital or skilled nursing, and then you have to find one within two weeks. That is not the way to do it. Okay? I'm seeing so much strife, so much angst. From my clients, from people that I know, just struggling with making a decision to let somebody else care for your person, unlike anything I've ever seen before. I literally have a family 
who moved somebody into a memory unit and then took their caregiver with them, the caregiver they had coming to their home. And three people were spending 11 hours a day with the person at the community and then wondered why they were not successful there. They wondered why the staff wasn't interacting with the person. They were critical of the activities and that their person never wanted to participate in the activities. Well, they didn't want to participate because you're there. If you're there, they can't acclimate to the place. You don't have to be there to tuck them in at night. If they're in a good community, they'll keep them active all day and they'll be really tired around 7 or 8 o'clock and they'll go down by themselves. And if they're struggling in the morning, maybe the community will let them sleep a little bit later in the morning and make them a breakfast when they get up. They'll figure out ways to work with you. That's what care plans are for. So don't take that guilt and that angst and that anxiety that you had trying to make this decision in the first place and then transfer it to the community that you just put them in because it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I know many of you out there are struggling. You are struggling with this. After we take a break, I'm going to talk about what it looks like when somebody does go into a community. And what do you see while they're in the community? What good things have you observed that benefit the patient? Let's talk about this and more in just a minute. Living and working with Alzheimer's and other dementias can often be challenging. Summit Resilience Training provides education, utilizing non-medical approaches for those who work with our friends affected by dementia. Believing families still need one-on-one assistance, we provide classes which help them understand the diseases affecting their loved ones, offering strategies and techniques for success with activities of daily living and working with confusing behaviors. We offer in-home assessments to clarify symptoms of dementia diseases and help families work together to find moments of joy while living with memory loss and impairment. Education programs instilling person-centered care philosophies are offered for professional caregivers working in communities and homes, which can be customized for their staff. Training is also available for first responders, such as law enforcement, fire, and EMT personnel. We are passionate that people with dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and others, are approached with compassion and understanding, and those who work with them have all the tools they need for success. Call us at Summit Resilience Training, 303-420-6988 to schedule a class or in-home assessment. Visit our website at summitresiliencetraining.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Okay, so let's talk about what things you might see once a person has moved in? What are some of the good things that have happened? 
as I was putting information together, I talked to a couple of the executive directors that I work with, um, Stacy Naslin, bless her heart, one of my good friends, who runs Spring Ridge Park, and she's been on the show a couple of times. You all have met her. And I asked her what she has observed that benefited the patient. And she said that when people come in and they bring in their pet, as long as the pet is clean, by the way, don't bring a dirty dog into a, a memory unit, please, please, please. Get your dog groomed, bring it in, have it be cute. Um, so bringing in a pet for a visit or some kind of, you know, fun food that the person liked, brownies, homemade cookies, something like that. Um She's, she said those are those are really good things that, that she has seen that really brightens a person's day. One of the things that, that Stacy really touched on was she said openness and acceptance of the resident's health change and and patience with the staff. So by that she meant that the family talks with her at the community and realizes that the person is progressing and that they seem to appreciate it when she talks to them about it and they show patience and understanding about the care. I talked to a few other people and they said, They, when the family realizes that there is some one-on-one -on -one stimulation, when they realize that the person seems to be happy and, you know, interacting with the staff and things like that, that the family seems so much happier, like they didn't expect that to happen or something. <laughs> and touching and hugging. Holding somebody's hand, walking with them down a hallway, that is so powerful. Just watching the staff be nice and understanding is a good thing. And, and the same thing back for the families, seeing the families being caring and calm and being gentle with their person. And and when they sit and they reminisce or go through photo albums and, and bring in family members and, and like I said, those animals and stuff like that, uh, that is just heartwarming for everybody. When you can go down memory lane with, with photo albums and things like that, bring in lots of pictures to look at, um, things that families seem to appreciate is when they recognize that their person has had a manicure or a facial or had their hair done. You know, you see that your mom or dad or husband or whoever it is seems to have a little sparkle in their eye again. When, when you see people uh, in the communities that are letting the patients choose the topic of conversation and lead the conversation and and have resident-led activities. Those are really super cool things. Seeing that your person is adapting to where they are, not only from a physical standpoint, but in the disease, they're, they're, they're comfortable now. They're not struggling anymore. 
they're just talking and the family members aren't questioning every little move that they do all the time anymore. All those kind of things make things so much easier. When you see them smiling and you see the the caregivers that work at the communities interacting with them, doing activities and things like that, beautiful. If you see, you know, that the religious sect has a priest come in and do communion in the morning, those kinds of things are, are fun. And then how about, you know, the families, what do they do to make visits more enjoyable? Well, you can do anything that you maybe did before the disease developed. You can, you can take them for walks around the neighborhood. Um, you can take them out to lunch, take them out for coffee. Participate in some of the organized programs that they have. If they are going on a ride somewhere up in the mountains, see if you can go along. Join in with the activity that's going on if you want to. Reminisce with them. Sing with them. I'd sing with my mom all the time. I, I, I sing with my mom all the time. Even if I was talking to her on the phone, I'd sing a song with her and stuff like that. If you're in a room with them or you're outside with them, play catch with like a, a big soft ball. Maybe find a quiet place outside on the grass and have a little picnic with them for lunch. Make sure that the staff has a ton of information into what they like and what they dislike and their history. Their social and family interactions and behaviors give the staff a clue who triggers the person to not be happy and who makes them happy? Who makes them smile? You know, give them a lot of information on stuff like that. Show your person the respect they deserve. Take them outside. Give them hugs. Tell them you love them. Visit often, but don't stay for a year. Don't, don't camp in, in their community. It makes them feel valued when you come and visit them every so often. It makes them feel loved. Play a game with them. Talk about recipes that you're making that, that maybe is one that they used to make all the time. Bring some familiar items from home and talk with them about them. Do things for them like you maybe used to do, like putting hand cream or lotion on them, combing their hair, read to them, play music for them. Go outside and talk about the flowers and the birds and the skies. Reminisce, laugh with them. Be pleasant with them. Joke with them. Joke with the staff. Do the things you need to do to make it seem as normal as you possibly can and have a good exit strategy to get out. Are you going to have some problems when you move them in? Yeah, you are. You are. You are. Sometimes you will. Sometimes you won't. 
A lot of times the resident takes it a whole lot better than the family member does, as I have just lamented about for the last 40 minutes. Some of the things you might see is they might ask to go home. They don't understand why they can't live at home. They they say they don't like the place. They say that somebody's not feeding them. As soon as you leave, they eat a great big meal and say, my husband never comes to see me. <laughs> it's just part of the disease. Some of the problems that we have are not understanding or accepting the resident's health and where they're at. And people will complain about little things, things that don't mean anything like ugly curtains in a room. So what? If there's ugly curtains in a room, you can get over that. I would much rather have ugly curtains and a caring staff than beautiful curtains and a staff that doesn't give a damn. Figure out what you want. Don't argue about little things and don't do it in front of the resident. Never be impatient or argumentative. Have, you know, these long discussions with the staff, being demanding and 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 such and grabbing a, a caregiver in the middle of the hall instead of making an appointment with the executive director to talk about whatever issues you have. Don't don't do that in front of your person. Don't do that in front of your person. Don't argue with them. Don't be rough with them. Don't talk down to them. And don't do it to the staff either. When you're not smiling, when you are anxious, when you're struggling, when family members are arguing back and forth and they're frustrated and they are with someone, they will upset that apple cart and you leave and then that person holds on to those feelings and is disrupted all day long. I talked about it a couple of weeks ago about how they will hold an emotion forever and ever long after you're finished with the conversation. So don't ask your person things they don't know the answer to. Don't believe when they tell you that they haven't been fed or nobody's talking to them or they're just leaving them in a room. Chances are that is not the case. Don't blame the staff if the person is depressed and sad the first couple of days or weeks or or month or two. Don't do that uh, because they're – just think for yourself for a minute – how you would be if you moved into a new surrounding that you are struggling to learn. We know that people, when they get Alzheimer's and various dementia diseases, one of the first things that happens is they stop learning new things. So it's hard for them to recognize where they are. But they'll get used to it. They'll get used to the people there. They'll get used to the way activities run. They'll get used to the fun of the place. They'll get to know the residents and things like that. It's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. But if you fight this, if you make it difficult, if you if you look at the wrong things that the staff is doing, um, 
If you're worried about the look of the room, the person shouldn't be in the room a lot anyway. They should be down with the staff enjoying activities all day long. If you have chosen a place where they're only doing an activity at 9 and an activity at 4 in the afternoon, you've got the wrong place. Unless your person just doesn't ever want to do anything. Do your homework. Make your list. Figure out what you need to do. Moving to a community can be a really awesome experience. It can allow that person to just be free. They don't have to try and put up pretenses or put on airs. They're not trying to remember what they were saying. They don't have to say the right thing or do the right thing because nobody in the community is judging them. Look for longevity in staff. Look for an executive director who's interactive. Look for a place that has uh, a plan to paint nails or, or do beauty salon or shaving, or they will take the residents out for activities and things like that. They have outdoor areas that they can go out and get some sunshine. Do all those things and then say to yourself, I did the right thing and I can be okay with this. I can be okay with this. Because you can have problems at your home just like you can have problems at a community. You can get to know the staff there and they will get to know your person. It really gives that person a chance to be interactive with people again where that diminished while they were at home. I mean, let's face it. When somebody has Alzheimer's, people stop coming around. They don't visit anymore. You don't get invited to their houses Shoot, in this world we're in now, people don't go to each other's houses anyway. My husband and I have two parties a year where we invite 50 to 60 people. I I have one friend that her and her husband invite us over for dinner. Kind of on a regular basis. And we've been very fortunate to be asked by a few other friends to go out to dinner and things like that, which I love. Uh, But I think it's because we're active people and we invite people to our house. So I'm always surprised and delighted when somebody asks us if we want to go to dinner. And I hope that doesn't stop. But when somebody gets Alzheimer's, it typically does and they become isolated. And this is a chance for them to interact with people their own age and do, do things with people that have a like Mind, it can be a good thing. Get over the guilt. It's going to be okay. It's going to be good for everybody. You'll have your life back. There's a degree, a huge degree of sadness coming, especially if you're a spouse and you're going back to your home and that person isn't going to be there. You have to learn a new way of living. Your chapter next may be alone. But it may not be. Maybe you'll start over. Maybe you'll start over with someone new. Maybe it's the end of your life and you're okay with that. There's a lot of variables. I can't even pretend to know all of them. I don't even want to. But what I do know is you'll be okay. Be vigilant. Check on them at the community. Get to know the staff. The more you know the staff, the more they will love on that person 
and you will have a good communication and effective communication and relationship with them. It's going to be okay. Well, my friends, that's my soapbox for the week. I love you all out there in my caregiver nation, and I'll see you next week on Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. You've been listening to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. To learn more about her resources, services, classes, or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at summitresiliencetraining.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.